I'm Jacintha, I'm one of the pastors here, and it's Mother's Day today. A special shout out to you if you are a mum. I recently became a mum and uh, my husband Abel and I have a five-month-old son, Levi. And parenting really is the hardest but most rewarding thing we have ever done. I used to think I was pretty resilient until I became a parent. And I know that the past few weeks, we have been juggling um, working from home and caring for our children, keeping them occupied, although it probably doesn't look like this. I love some of these descriptions of mothers. Uh, one of them is that a mother is a person with the ability to hear the smallest noises, detect a lie, and see out of the back of their head. Someone once asked, what's the difference between Superman and mothers? is that Superman is a superhero now and then, but mothers are superheroes all the time. So to our all the time superheroes, happy Mother's Day. I'm excited to preach today. And on days like today, I think of my maternal, uh, my paternal grandmother, who is uh, living in a village in Bakalalan in Sarawak. Um, and she was nine months pregnant when she was walking to different villages around her to teach the Bible. She was pregnant with my dad at the time and it came time to delivering my dad. So she went into labor in a nearby village. Remember, she was nine months. When I was nine months pregnant, I couldn't even walk from the lot 10 car park to the main hall entrance. And on days like today, I think of my own mum who single-handedly raised my four siblings and I after my dad passed away in my teens. And on days like today, it's easy to think of biblical figures like Mary, the mother of Jesus, Hannah, the mother of Samuel, or the Proverbs 31 woman. But today I want to preach on 1 Kings chapter 3. We are living in extraordinary times and this time last year, no one would have expected to be celebrating Mother's Day like today, in partial lockdown or in full lockdown, um, tuning in to church from our homes. For some of you, this may be a day of celebration, while for others, a day of pain. For some of you, you are far from your mothers and you are wishing you could give her a hug. Well, for others of you, today may be a reminder of something missing in your life. The loss of an earthly mother who has gone on from this life or a child you're still trying to conceive. Today, I want to speak into that pain. And so I've titled my talk, How to Love Well in Difficult Circumstances. Our passage today is taken from 1 Kings chapter 3 and here we see two women, they go to King Solomon with a problem involving a baby that they're both fighting over. And Solomon has the enviable job of deciding whose baby it is. And if we're honest, it's a pretty bizarre situation. You know, there are two quarreling women, there's a conflicted king. There's a clueless, innocent baby who doesn't know any better. And it wasn't even lockdown. So let's read the passage together. I'm going to read from verse 17. One of them said, Pardon me, my Lord. This woman and I live in the same house and I had a baby while she was there with me. 
The third day after my child was born, this woman also had a baby. We were alone. There was no one in the house but the two of us. During the night, this woman's son died because she lay on him. So she got up in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while I, your servant, was asleep. She put him by her breast and put her dead son by my breast. The next morning, I got up to nurse my son and he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning light, I saw that it wasn't the son I had born. The other woman said, no, the living one is my son, the dead one is yours. But the first one insisted, no, the dead one is yours, the living one is mine. And so they argued before the king. Now, let's just pause there for a minute. Solomon was the wisest man who has ever lived on earth. And scripture says he was the king of Israel as well. And as King Solomon would spend most of his time with big picture national interests, you know, what kings normally do. So why is he getting involved in an everyday matter between two women, two prostitutes actually, from the lowest rung of society? And I love this picture of these two women arguing before the king and he patiently listened to them. It's kind of like if I were to write a seven-page letter to the prime minister uh, talking about how late my grab food delivery was. So what does Solomon do? Let's read on. Verse 23, the king said, This one says, my son is alive and your son is dead. While that one says, no, your son is dead and mine is alive. Then the king said, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword for the king. He then gave an order, cut the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. Now, ordering that the baby be divided in two and then distributing it sounds really casual, kind of like the way I share my Oreos. And can you imagine the reaction of everyone in the room? I can just picture it. The king's attendants, they freeze. The stenographers, they stop transcribing. The bodyguards are in shock. I mean, Solomon was supposed to be the wisest man on earth, and yet this judgment didn't quite seem to make sense. And yet sometimes what is really wise may appear foolish. But actually, Solomon was exercising extraordinary wisdom. What happens next? Reading from verse 26. The woman whose son was alive was deeply moved out of love for her son and said to the king, Please, my lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him. But the other said, Neither I nor you shall have him. Cut him in two. Then the king gave his ruling. Give the living baby to the first woman. Do not kill him. She is his mother. This sermon is about how to live well in difficult circumstances and I want to suggest that there are three ways. The first is to seek wisdom. Solomon was far from being the perfect leader. You know, scripture tells us that he had everything he could ever want. He had power, he had wealth, he had success. Um, he lived a fabulously decadent life. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines um, and they turn his heart away from God and actually scripture says it saddens God and yet we are told that he did some things right right before this passage God met with Solomon in a dream and God asked Solomon ask for whatever you want me to give you 
And Solomon, he didn't ask for money or wealth or power or for the death of his enemies. But he asked in verse 9, it says, Wisdom and discernment for administering justice. But what is wisdom really? You know, Shakespeare said, The wise man knows himself to be a fool. Socrates said, The only true wisdom is in knowing you know nothing. And the very erudite philosopher Selena Gomez said, Tell me, tell me, tell me something I don't know. Wisdom is knowing when to speak, what to say, what decision to make, and how to live life well. I think of the mother of Dr. Benjamin Carson. Dr. Carson is a well-known American neurosurgeon. He's well-known for making really intricate surgeries. And growing up, Dr. Carson used to say that his mother is really the reason behind his success. His mom used to ask him to write book reports every single week. And so he would labor over this process every time, uh, writing and editing and proofreading all of his essays for his mum. He was worried that she was checking every single word. Later on, when he was a bit older, he found out something he never expected to learn. He found out his mum couldn't read. But all of those years of investing in writing and reading and learning actually paid off because he went on to do well in school. Wisdom is not just about having knowledge, it's about knowing how to make the right choices, especially if it involves those under your care. How do we get this wisdom? Solomon asked for it, and so can we. God promises to give you this wisdom for every tricky situation you find yourself in to help you make decisions, to help you know what to say and when to say it, and how to live life well. And I think God honors Solomon because by asking for wisdom, Solomon was saying, I need you, Lord. His posture was that of humility, dependence, and God honored that reliance. Solomon's humility was upward and outward. It was upward, I need you, Lord. It was outward, help me to serve your people. And this passage was Solomon's first instance of his public ministry as king his debut, as it were. And it came after he had just been spending time with God. It's been said um, to me that in order to to solve people's problems, you must live with them. But to solve them, you must live with God. And it's been said that private purity is a key to public power. It's true, isn't it, that the meditations of our heart often become who we are. If my mind is set on gratefulness for the things that I have, I'm more likely to be kind. But if my mind is set on what I don't have, I'm more likely to be grumpy to those around me. And positive psychology would tell you that you need to visualize your dream to make it a reality. I think of the actor Jim Carrey, who wasn't really doing very well early on in his career. And so he wrote for himself a 10 million US dollar check and he put it in his wallet for years um, as a visual reminder. Years later, he would land a lead role in a movie that would help make that image a reality. And guess what? He got paid the exact amount that he had written many years earlier. But Solomon's request for wisdom was a lot more than positive psychology. The wisdom of God is dynamic, it's creative, and it's true. 
and Jesus says he is our wisdom. Perhaps you lead a team and you're needing to make some difficult decisions this week. Or maybe you're a parent and you have a child who is struggling to learn online. Or maybe you're a mentor to someone with mental health challenges. Whatever it is, as we follow Jesus and as we invite the Holy Spirit to fill us, we can trust that God will provide wisdom for every situation we are in. Now, wisdom doesn't mean not making mistakes. Um, in fact, the first thing my doctor, who's no nonsense, said to me in my postnatal checkup was, as a parent, you're going to make mistakes, so get used to it. I just didn't expect it to happen so soon. Thankfully, I'm married to a very confident man. Um, I am brought back to the first day of Chinese New Year when um, Abel and I were getting ready to have dinner with my in-laws. And as I was getting ready, um, you know, Abel wanted to clip the fingernails of Levi. The context is the day before that, we had clipped his fingernails. He was two months old at the time. And it felt pretty easy. We were pretty successful, except we forgot two nails. So Abel wanted to finish off those two nails. And so he said, I'm just going to finish clipping his two fingernails. And I was worried. And so I said to him, are you sure? And he said, don't worry, I've been cutting fingernails for over 30 years. Now, the next thing I know, I hear wailing. And so I rush out of the bathroom. I go downstairs and I see blood all over Levi's hands and his face and a guilty looking Abel. So we grab all of our things, we rush out to go to the clinics, but then we realize it's the first day of Chinese New Year, so they're all closed. But all's well that ends well, we manage to go to a pharmacy and get his little finger bandage, and we end up the, having uh, dinner with Abel's family that night. Now, Abel, since that day, hasn't even touched the nail clipper. He wouldn't even cut his own nails. If you're a parent, you know what it means to make a mistake. But loving well doesn't mean never making mistakes. It's about having a humble posture. It's saying, Jesus, I need you. I need your wisdom. It's looking outwards. How can I do a better job at loving the people under my care? It's about seeking wisdom. The second way to love well in difficult circumstances is by sacrificing our rights. In verse 26, it says, The woman whose son was alive was deeply moved. And she said to the king, Give her the living baby. The mother in this passage gave up her right to her son so that he could live. Jesus sacrifices his rights so that we may live. He says, I have come so that they may have life and life to the full. And sometimes I wonder, what is this full life that Jesus promises us? If you can't already tell, I'm a millennial. Um, and growing up, the media would always tell us, um, follow your dreams, be whatever you want, do whatever you want. And in many ways, <laughs> this is true. Mobile technology has made it possible for us to do and be whatever we want. For the first time, we're able to organize a holiday all from our mobile phones, from booking the flight to booking at the hotel to renting a car and then Instagramming it to tell our friends about it. But if there's anything that we've learned from this lockdown life in this past few weeks, it's that a full life doesn't come 
from traveling the world. It doesn't come from opportunities in education or even in meaningful work. I want to suggest that a full life involves sacrifice. I know, cheery topic for Mother's Day, but let me explain. All through humanity, we see that every form of growth comes with some form of brokenness. Every form of life comes from some form of death. It's been said that no seed ever sees the flower. To make wine, grapes need to be crushed. To be fit, you have to die to nasi lemak for breakfast every morning. To be a good student, you have to die to fortnight. And when I was pregnant with Levi, I had to die to sushi. Love is generous and it says, I'll lay down my rights for yours. The mother in this passage was deeply moved out of love for her son. And in that moment, she died to her right to motherhood, her right to see her child grow just so that he may live. Loving well is sacrificing something precious to you in the faith that God will make precious what you have given up. I said earlier that my family on my dad's side uh, is from a tiny village called Baklalan in Sarawak. And uh, when my dad was very little, the closest primary school was miles away. It was days of walks away and there were no roads, there were no cars. So to have an education, my dad and his friends would have to pack up their bags and then walk through the jungle. They would have to swim through rivers to get to school at seven years old. And I thought at seven that staying on in school for Mandarin extra classes was bad. So at the age of the village, my grandparents would say goodbye to their children, releasing them to brave the elements so they can get an education. And for months, they wouldn't see them. And there was no WhatsApp, there was no Zoom to find out how they were doing. And as a mom, I can't bear the thought of saying goodbye to my son, especially at such a young age. But the grief of the Lun Bawang mothers would be far outweighed by their joy, as in years to come, they would welcome their children back as university graduates. But years later, my dad would often go back to the village and he would treat medical uh, patients as a medical doctor and he would serve the community out of public service. What these Lunbaong parents gave up in the short term, they gained in the long term in university graduates. Some of you here know this trade-off very well. Instead of stockpiling, you faithfully lived a life of sacrifice. The good news is that the pain of your sacrifice is only temporary in light of your long-term gain. God is no man's debtor. He can do more with your sacrifice than with your stockpile. There is a promise in giving, so keep on going. The third way we can love well in difficult circumstances is through surrendering our control. So what do you do when seeking wisdom and sacrifice are not enough and you want to love anyway? It might be a relationship that's falling apart or an economic situation that feels hopeless. It might be the encouragement with God is that it is safe to surrender. It is safe to relinquish control over our lives. It is saying to him, God, come into my life and direct my life. 
God can do more with our surrender than with our control. And that's exactly what Jesus did. You know, Jesus could control how the story ended, but he surrendered to death on the cross. In Philippians chapter 2, it says, Jesus, although in very nature God did not consider equality something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing and became obedient to the cross. Loving well in difficult circumstances means looking upward to God, saying, Lord, I need your wisdom. It's in looking outward saying, I will sacrifice my rights for yours. It's in holding our hands open in surrender saying, God, you can do more with my surrender than with my control. Jochebed, the mother of Moses, put him in a basket, releasing him in a river to save him from Pharaoh. Hannah, the mother of Samuel, dedicated him to a life of ministry. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, surrendered him to a life that would lead him to the cross. The act of sacrifice and surrender of the mother in this passage is a picture of what Jesus has done for you and for me. She gave up her right so that her child might live, her short-term sacrifice for long-term gain. And if you're wondering where we are in this story, we are the child who was allowed to live. We are Jesus' long-term gain. He died so that we may live, so that we may have a full and restored relationship with God. Following Jesus has been the greatest joy and source of life for me. And if you don't yet know what it's like to have a full and abundant life with God, um, would you consider inviting him in? He promises to give you wisdom. He promises to be with you, to walk with you through your sacrifice and your surrender. And Jesus demonstrated that by humbling himself on the cross so that we may live. Amen. Shall we pray? I would love if you could stand. We're now going to take a moment to invite the Holy Spirit to come. I know you're watching this from your home, but it would be great to stand and to put out your hands like this, just in an act of surrender to say, Jesus, Holy Spirit, come and fill me. So come, Holy Spirit, would you fill us afresh?